Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Series podcast, and this is our review of Stranger Things Season 4. You've broken everything. It's almost at an end. Dear Billy, I don't know if you can even hear this. Ever since you left, everything's been disaster for a while we tried to be happy normal i know that's impossible all right everybody you were just listening to the trailer for stranger things season four and the story is as follows Set in March 1986, eight months after the events of the third season, the fourth season is split between different plot lines. The first plot line takes place in Hawkins, where several teenagers are killed in mysterious ways. It features Dustin Henderson, Max Mayfield, Lucas, and Erica Sinclair, Steve Harrington, Nancy Wheeler, Robin Buckley, and Eddie Munson, the leader of the Hellfire Club, a Dungeons & Dragons group that includes Dustin and his friends. Eddie becomes the prime murder suspect and is hunted down by Jason Carver and members of the basketball team who believe that Eddie killed Jason's girlfriend, Chrissy Cunningham, using satanic powers. Dustin and friends investigate and discover that the murders were carried out by a powerful being that lives in the Upside Down, an entity who they later dub Vecna. The second plot line involves Mike Wheeler visiting Eleven, Will, and Jonathan Byers at their new home in California. Due to the events in Hawkins and the imminent danger to her friends, Eleven goes with Dr. Martin Brenner and Sam Owens to a secret facility to help her regain her powers. Mike, Will, Jonathan, and Jonathan's friend Argyle try to track Eleven down. The third plotline follows Joyce Byers and Murray Bauman, who learn that Jim Hopper may still be alive and are told to bring money to arrange for his transfer. Meanwhile, in a Russian gulag, Hopper is held prisoner and is forced alongside other inmates to battle a Demogorgon that the Russians have captured. The season is starring Winona Ryder, David Harbour, Millie Bobby Brown, Finn Wolfhard, Gaden Matarazzo, Caleb McLaughlin, Noah Schnapp, Sadie Sink, Natalia Dyer, Charlie Heaton, Joe Keery, Maya Hawk, Brett Gelman, Pryor Ferguson, Matthew Modine, and Paul Reiser. This series is created by the Duffer Brothers, And here to join me today to talk about both Volume 1 and Volume 2 of the cultural phenomenon that is currently streaming on Netflix in full, I have Zoe Rose Bryant. Hello, hello. And also joining us as a guest here is culture writer for RogerEbert.com and Vague Visages. We have Brendan Hodges, everybody. Hey, happy to join you. Hey, Brendan. It's really, really great to have you here on the show. 
thanks for coming. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be invited, and I think we're going to have some fun talking about the new season. Absolutely, yeah. It's funny because I don't even think our listeners, especially if you're new, they're they're probably listening to this and thinking, since when does Next Best Picture review television? And I got to be honest with you, it's very rare that we do. It's very, very rare. It does not happen often. Uh, But that's because it's just hard with scheduling and just the commitment to be able to, you know, sit down and watch all of this. But I do truthfully and honestly believe that Stranger Things is the kind of show that is really pushing the television medium forward uh, in terms of production value and is right now, I think, the hottest show that Netflix currently offers at this time. I mean, a lot of their mainstay shows have either ended or they get canceled. And right now, I think this is like their big, this is their big golden goose at the moment. I mean, this is going to go on for what, another two more years as we head into the fifth and final season. And you look at the numbers just in terms of how many people clock in, you know, all these hours watching this show. It's been a phenomenon to watch these kids grow up right before our very eyes. It's kind of reminiscent of like the Harry Potter series in a way. And also too, just once again, pushing the boundaries forward in terms of what can be done on television in terms of production budgets. The fourth season reportedly cost them $270 million, basically $30 million per episode times nine. And that's how many episodes we got here. We got seven with volume one, then two with volume two, which just released over the 4th of July weekend. And if that wasn't enough, these run times on these episodes in previous seasons it was 55 minutes 50 minutes give or take something like that per episode not season four (laughs) season four they decided we're doing hour 15 hour and a half fuck it let's go to 220 (laughs) so that's it's gotten pretty epic at this point so i thought this was something that needed to be discussed here on the show and we can bring to it the same level of conversation depth that we do on a film review, even though there is a lot of ground to cover here. So I want to first start off with Zoe Rose Bryant. Zoe, what did you ultimately think of season four of Stranger Things and what has been your experience with the show prior to this? Um, full disclosure, uh, this is my favorite show. This is like, like there's probably no show I've loved and obsessed over as much as Stranger Things. Um, Season one came out when I was a senior in high school. Um, So especially like really in like fandom environments, I was still a teen and I just latched onto these characters and the lore and the world so quickly. Um, I'm a huge fan of 80s horror and horror in general and all the sci-fi classics that this draws from. And so that was kind of my entryway into everything. And then I really felt like the show establish its own unique identity even beyond you know those nostalgic attachments um and i've like binged the series every single time when as soon as it releases i will stay up late and back in nebraska that was till like 2 (laughs) a.m so this was a little bit better because i'm in california now um but i was amazed by the season i thought it was so so just epic and emotional and everything i wanted after like two and a half years off because I remember we used to get them almost around like every year, year and a half. Um, and it was really hard to go this long without Stranger Things just because you get so immersed in it every single time a new season comes around and you fall in love with these characters all over again. And I thought that this was a great way to kind of roar back to life. Um, I think, first of all, the establishing Vecna as like 
the central antagonist of the series was really important, and I think he landed very well. Um, I've liked the past villains. I think it's fun. they're fun foils, like the Demogorgon um, and the Mind Flayer, but definitely having kind of a, a not a human face, but a humanoid face to kind of project all their fighting onto added a new element to the series, and I think it will lead into the final season very well. Um, I thought the character development for multiple characters here this season, too, was incredible. Um, Max has been one of my favorite characters since she was introduced. I just love Sadie Sink. I love her in other films, too, like Fear Street and everything else she's done, and I just think she's such a little talent, and the character of Max really appealed to me and really spoke to me, especially this season with all she was going through and how she was kind of dealing with that depression early on, and I think she was easily the star of the show for me this time out. Um, but Millie Bobby Brown was still no slouch and really continues to prove why she's the face of Stranger Things and why everybody latched onto her in the first place. Um, and also, aside from them, I love Natalia Dyer. I think that her Nancy is always a reliable standout. I think some of the guys didn't fare as well this time around. I think Mike especially didn't have much to do. Um, and it's kind of everybody in the California plotline. Um, but towards the end, when we involved more people in that final fight with Vecna, I was really impressed. And like you said earlier in the intro, the scale of this season was just unprecedented. And, you know, from the set design, from the cinematography, from the, to the VFX, and it made it a lot more engaging, I think, too, because especially following season three, which they call their blockbuster season, we really still needed to up the ante, and I think they did really well. So overall, I think, I'm not sure it quite gets to the first season's greatness. There's just something about the lightning in a bottle feel of watching the show for the first time, but it's it's probably my, it's probably my second favorite season right now. Okay, great. And I probably should have prefaced by saying this at the very beginning here. Uh, obviously, heavy spoilers. So if you have not watched Stranger Things yet. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That's my fault. I should have said it before. Uh, definitely stop listening now. Go and watch it. Come back. Then listen to our thoughts on it. But I do want to hear more more thoughts. So, uh, Brendan, let's kick it over to you. All right. Um, I have to co-sign a lot of what Zoe said. And starting with kind of my experience and background with Stranger Things, not to be too hyperbolic, but I remember when it first came out, I think 2016, and I watched it and with my girlfriend at the time, back at that moment, we were both just like, oh my gosh. And just even from the opening set piece before the title hits, and then we finished the episode and we kind of looked at each other and it was this moment where it was like, this is going to be massive we both could instantly tell something was special. And I think a lot of that is because of a lot of what both of you have already alluded to. There's just this cinematic quality to the presentation and the style that just jumped off the screen. And it instantly became, really just from the first few episodes, one of my favorite things on air. Um, and I know it gets lamblasted a lot for being pastiche, or homage, and I am like just a nostalgia trip, and I actually strongly have always disagreed with that. Those elements are there, and sometimes they are overplayed, but I've always felt those elements to be fairly superficial. Um, and what I mean by that is, yeah, there's the 80s needle drops, you have the tropes it's playing off of, all those things are there for sure. But ultimately, this is a show that's about the characters. It's a very character-centric program. 
And um, that would not be the case, you know, if this was just empty nostalgia, um, which we've all seen that in many other situations. And over the years of us watching it, it has just really only grown in how much we've appreciated it. And including this past season, both of us just adored it. And I think that the thing that separates Stranger Things from a lot of the competition is this sounds small, but I actually think it's quite significant. The camera itself is very active. It's very dynamic. It's borrowing a lot from Spielberg's kind of film language. It's a very agile, dexterous camera. And you don't usually see so much of a TV production plan its entire kind of rhythm and pace around just the style right? They always say TV is kind of a writer's medium. And even on Game of Thrones, often heralded as one of the great all-time cinematic TV shows, that's true sometimes. But if you really look at that show, even towards the end, when it was a much higher budget series, outside of the action moments, the camera was very static, very steady. It could be very beautiful with nice compositions, but it's a very it was a very static show. And that's generally the case for TV, because Big fancy camera movements requires cranes and a lot more expensive equipment. But Stranger Things invested in that for the as a, from a budget standpoint to really let the show pop. And ultimately, to me, that's why when people talked about how much certain shows resemble movies, Stranger Things always struck me as the show that did the the most. And there's a lot of other examples since 2016 that have been very very cinematic. Um, Barry Jenkins' Underground Railroad is one fabulous example. But uh, coming into this latest season then, I was shocked at how it balanced this massive scale that I don't think we've really seen on TV outside of the Game of Thrones battle episodes and maybe some of Mandalorian, some. Um, And what is interesting about that is and I'm sure both of you guys would agree, the season itself, especially at first, is actually the smallest scale story really since season one, or maybe even including, because what I mean by that is it really takes a while for this season to have any big spectacle or danger at all outside of, you know, a couple death scenes and a couple dream sequences. Most of the season is actually fairly small scale um, in terms of the plot, but it is putting this budget into creating these massive uh, kind of images with way more crowd scenes, for example. You've got that great big basketball sequence at the end of episode one, obviously towards the last handful of episodes this season. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where the season finale of that 200 and you know um 70 million budget i bet a big chunk of that was just for the finale right oh yeah yeah and to me this was one of the most cinematic things i've seen not just on tv but anything at all this year yeah and that really qualifies not just the spectacle but also just the emotional storytelling as well um I will also say, though, that I, I, I do believe that this season kind of reminded me of like a double album. And what I mean by that is sometimes an artist, a musician comes out that you love and they put out a double album. And I don't know how many double albums don't have some filler tracks, you know. And this is by far the longest season of Stranger Things. 
And there's more filler tracks than I would have liked. Mm, okay. And I think that it comes down to something I heard the Duffer Brothers say on uh, a podcast recently where they were like, we plan the ending day one, and it's okay if we don't know the middle part of the story as long as we kind of know the beginning and the end. We kind of write our way there as long as it's entertaining. And I actually think that this season makes that very apparent as their writing method, especially in every storyline that's not revolving around Hawkins or Eleven. Because so many of the individual arcs, particularly California and Russia, many of those arcs probably have double or triple the amount of scenes that those arcs need. Agreed. Yeah. And it really bogs down what I think is the best season of the show. But it's kind of you have to weed through some of that stuff that drags it down. Um, but it says a lot about how strong the very good elements of the season are that they still pop and they carry it. And there's moments in those other arcs that I know we're going to go into each one that do pop in a good way, but gosh, sometimes that was a bit of a drag. Uh, overall, I thought this was the best or second best season. Um, cosign all of what uh, Zoe said in respect to Vecna. And I'll end my kind of opening thoughts by saying it reminded me most of uh, not to make a tired Harry Potter comparison. I think we're all kind of tired of comparing everything to Harry Potter, but Matt, <laughs> you already did, so I, I'm fair game. Um, uh, it reminded me a lot of the Half-Blood Prince, where it's a season that's dealing with a lot of the lore and mythology in a lead-up to the final battle, and we experience the origins of the big villain um, with an unexpected origin story and childhood, and we experience both of these in Half-Blood Prince and Stranger Things season four subjectively through a character. And there's also floating kids <laughs> who are cursed. <laughs> um, so it's, it's even pretty direct on that front. Um, and then the ending has this big epic battle that's ultimately a taste of what's to come. Um, and it's also just a more mature, deadly season um, that deals with more adult themes as characters are transitioning to later stages of life. Um, and Half-Blood Prince is my favorite Harry Potter book, so obviously I, I ate a lot of this stuff up. Um, Me too. Me too. <laughs> there you go. So overall, I was just very happy with the season. I do think that I next season they need to work on making it more elegant and focused, but that's my only major criticism. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, 
and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. So it's actually really funny because as I was waiting for you to get through your opening thoughts there, Brendan, my mother texted me and wrote to me, Stranger Things, oh my God, four episodes in on episode five now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she just finished Dear Billy. Yep, yep, which we'll definitely talk about here extensively in just a moment. (laughs) Um, I will say as my opening thoughts that I can officially say now – that after this fourth season, I really do love this show. And I think this show is making a claim for one of my favorite shows of all time. Now, it's taken a while for me to get there because I liked season one. I did, I cannot say I loved it at the time. That whole, oh, they're just doing 80s nostalgia. I was one of those people and kind of wrote it off a little bit. I knew it was going to be a big deal, which is why I kept watching and I watched season two. And I actually thought season two was doing everything that season one was doing, albeit a bit better. Um, But then it had that episode where Eleven goes off and the lost sister, and I was just like, oh, no. (laughs) And it kind of killed the momentum of uh, that season as well for me. So season two, just like really, really close. And then season three, there was a big gap, I remember, between two and three, pretty much like a year and a half, two years, something like that. And uh, nothing compared to what we've experienced since then. But, I mean, um, season three, we reviewed it actually on the podcast. So, believe it or not, if you go back in the archives, uh, you will find that we actually have a podcast review of season three after it aired at the time. And I liked it. And I also thought at the time it was probably my least favorite season. However, after watching season four... And kind of now seeing the whole arc of the show and where the show is going, I think season four retroactively made me like season three uh, more because so many of the character moments uh, that I thought at the time were slowing the momentum down. uh, They were actually used as callbacks to make a lot of the emotional beats in season four land. So... It's really, really interesting to see how everything has kind of come full circle with season four. And I think the big reason that it has is because of Vecna, which I think is the secret ingredient that took Stranger Things to another level this year uh, and really put it up there now as, like I said, one of my favorite shows because you don't have a nameless villain Uh, with no personality like we've had in the past with these, you know, just these monsters. Yeah, they were called the Mind Flayer and the Demogorgon, all all this stuff, right? But they didn't have a backstory. They didn't have motivation. They were just monsters, you know? And every season kind of follows, like, the same structure I've noticed, too, which is the humans, uh, the kids, they all try their best and gosh darn it, we love them for it, but nothing really gets done until L comes around. <laughs> Let's be real. Um, and then at the end of the season, everybody's hugging, everybody's smiling, everybody's happy. You know, we have some casualties along the way, but that core group of friends, that tight knit 
uh, of the family unit. Everybody is still together at the end, and they're soldiering on, hoping for a better life and that this darkness is all behind them. I tell you, the amount of times that these characters have now encountered uh, these creatures from the Upside Down, it reminds me almost of like Jack Bauer in 24, where it's like, how many bad days is this person going to have in their life? My God. (laughs) (laughs) This shit just keeps happening without a break. So, speaking of break, whoo, COVID. Oh, man, that really put a long extension on our wait here for the fourth season. And I got to tell you, heading into it, I was excited. I wasn't super excited because, like I said, season three, I, I when, it, when it came time to even watch uh, the first episode, chapter one, the Hellfire Club. Thank God that they had the recap video of season three. I couldn't remember anything that happened in season three <laughs> at all. It just had been so long. So I'm watching the recap video and I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. No, it's all coming back now. It really got me up to speed. And then as soon as the episode started, Brendan, you said it before, and I'm going to echo this too. The cinematic quality of this show. Mm-hmm. It's part of the reason why I started talking about the show on the podcast with season three to begin with. But something about this year in particular, because I will agree that the show, even since season one has been very cinematic. But this year, they took it up a notch. The editing transitions, the way sound is used to create those transitions, um, the cinematography, the camera movement, like you said before, Brendan, like just, it really was operating on a level that, to me, did not make it feel like television. And these long runtime episodes, I think, also really established that. So you have a clear antagonist with motivation, a backstory, And someone that we can actually point to now as the big bad, the Thanos of this story. God, I love that so much. I really feel like when you have an antagonist that's really strong, that can solve like 40% of your movie problems right there, honestly. Uh, But on top of that, the kids are maturing. They're now in high school. And you have Nancy and Jonathan who are going off to college And now we're starting to see them go through certain life scenarios that I think are just more relatable. And instead of us saying, oh, look how cute they are, the little kids and stuff. Instead, I think now we have this attachment to them that goes even beyond that. And we genuinely care for their well-being and making sure that they can not only survive these supernatural events, but also just these life events that we may have had to have gone through ourselves at one point or another, whether it's bullying or, you know, having to deal with coming out. Uh, There's a lot of stuff going on here that I'm really kind of amazed that the writers have been able to balance amongst all of these characters uh, to give them all their unique character arcs. And that's the other thing too, is that because there is, and, and granted, there are exceptions. You know, someone mentioned before, like, Mike Wheeler this season. And I will admit, like, yeah, Mike and a few other characters. We'll get into this in a bit. But some characters got more to do than others. But the ones that did get a lot to do, man, they took the ball and they ran with it. And some of them delivered, I think, their series best performances in season four. There are a couple of moments where the writing is a little spotty. Not going to deny it. And I do wish it could have been a little tighter in the end. Uh, But I actually think the more I think about it, 
And I'm going to do a series rewatch after this, so this might change, but I think for now, the highs in Season 4 are so high, and none of the lows are as, are as low as I've ever felt in the other seasons, that I think overall, Season 4 is also my favorite season of the show to date. So with that said, for opening thoughts, what I kind of want to do here is I do want to kind of, you know, there's so many ways we could do this. We could go episode by episode. We could break it off into like the different sections, as I was saying before, because there are three plot lines that the story follows. Um, and I thought that would probably be the best way to really do this. Like, let's split this off into the plot lines and then we can like talk about the individual characters that are there. So let's get like the first thing out of the way here, which is. This Russia storyline <laughs> with Joyce, Murray, Jim Hopper, who's alive post season three. We have uh, <laughs> we have this character, Enzo, played by Game of Thrones alumni over here. The faceless man himself, Jack and Hagar. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he was in uh, in this season. I really, really do. Uh, we got a new character named Yuri. Uh, played by Nikolai, uh, Nikola Dorico, and a few others here. <sighs> Whoever mentioned this before, Zoe, I think it was you. I got to admit, like, I didn't hate this storyline. I heard so many people saying that this dragged, this was awful. I did not hate it. I will admit it's probably, I don't know. I don't know if it's the weakest of the three. I, I'll leave that up to debate for now until maybe we talk about all three plot lines, but... It came together at the end, mm -hmm. and that was the thing that I actually found to be maybe the most fascinating is that they actually did get me the care, and somehow, even though, like I said, the writing, you know, a little shaky to get there, how we do get there in the end, they did manage to find a way to make this plot line still relevant, and I got to commend them for that because this whole season I was kind of thinking, where are we going? How are they getting out of here? How are they getting back to Hawkins? We know that we know that Jim is getting out of this because they already teased us with killing him at the end of season three. So where are the stakes ultimately? I mean, what did you all think of this section of the of the story ultimately? I would say I wish I did not know Hopper was coming back. And I, I remember they revealed it in a teaser and it was yes. like kind of early COVID. It was like April 2020, I think. I think there's even more beyond that. Didn't they do something post credits oh, in season there was, three? Where they say go get the or not the American or something. And they're like in the Russian prison. I mm -hmm. think. Okay, yes, you're right. But yeah, that and then also the ad where we saw David Harbour. Um, and I think we all kind of like I did I cried so much when Hopper died. It was especially when Elle was reading his letter. Like I was so moved by that. Um and I, I did have a feeling that he wasn't fully gone. It's always the, if you didn't see the body, you know, he's, they're still out there somewhere. Yep. But so I didn't have a problem with them bringing him back. I just, I wish it would have been more of a surprise, but I do think there could have, I like, there's this whole thing right now where everyone's kind of talking about bringing beloved characters back after they have like this big climactic death and whether we should keep doing that or whether we shouldn't, or whether we're like conditioning an audience to like never feel any stakes um, and that's a whole other conversation, but I will say if you're going to do it, if you're going to then reverse the decision to kill Hopper, I just think along the way there should have been more drama, even like more eventful moments, I guess. And there is some stuff where the first breakout doesn't go well, and then he's led to that place where he's going to be like Demogorgon food. But even that, you know, compared to what we're seeing with L or what we're seeing with the Hawkins crew, really just 
felt kind of low scale. I don't know, it, at least to me. So along the way, I was like, oh, it does kind of drag. I will say there was more here than California, which was my least favorite plot line. Um, and I do think the drama, especially of like Joyce and Murray going to get him was really good. And I mean, the moment when Winona Ryder and David Harbour see each other is just magical. Like I thought that was incredible and it made me cry. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our over three and a half hour long podcast review of Stranger Things season four here on the Next Best Series podcast, part of the Next Best Picture podcast umbrella. In order to get the full length review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Picture's Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get the rest of this review along with other exclusive podcast content from us as well you have been listening to the next best series podcast part of the next best picture podcast umbrella we are proud to be part of the evergreen podcast network and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts be sure to leave us a review on apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show we really appreciate your feedback and your support thank you so much for listening as always and we shall see you all next time slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time <gasps> no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details